I'd like you to open your Bibles with me this morning to John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses um, 14 through 18 today. You know, last week we looked at the uh, first 13 verses as John opens the Gospel saying, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if there was any doubt at all about whom John was speaking when he referred to the Word, it becomes very clear in that opening paragraph as he tells us that the Word was face to face with the Father, equal in every sense, and uh, that He, in fact, was God Himself and the One through whom everything that was made was made. So, Jesus Christ is the Word. And the Word, uh, as John relates to us, is equal with the Father, the Eternal Son. Likewise, when we come to uh, verse 14, if there was any doubt in anyone's mind about the deity, that is, the, the Godhood nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, it should be dispelled by verse 14, because this same Word that was face-to-face with the Father, this same Word that was equal with God in every respect, according to verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Uh, John says, glory of an, as a, of an only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, many of us know these facts, but I wonder if you have taken time to consider uh, what the implications of these truths really mean. Uh, What is going on in the heart and mind of God? What is happening uh, as the Word becomes flesh? And in that first occasion when the angel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and overshadow you. And that which is in you is out of the Holy Spirit. For you will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Did you have a chance to read the devotional during the candle lighting this morning? If not, or if you did, let me read a little bit of it for you anyway, just to set the scene. Does God get excited about anything? Or since He knows everything, is He constantly placid and serene as the world history unfolds according to His plans? Of course, it says in Luke that God rejoices in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. But is that the same thing as being excited? Excited can mean eager, enthusiastic, thrilled, motivated, delighted, ecstatic, exhilarated. Are those emotions that you normally associate with God? Can you relate any of those emotions to love? Think back to when you were first in love, when you were like a dreaming person, maybe even uh, even a sleepwalker whose feet never quite seemed to touch the ground. You were floating on air. Maybe you were just a little bit crazy. 
You couldn't wait to be together. Now, reflect back. Did you feel like that when you first met the Savior? Knowing that you had been cleansed from sin, all unrighteousness, every speck of darkness and filth in your soul had been washed and filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God, weren't you pretty excited? An overwhelming knowledge that God loves you and had purchased your redemption on the cross. Think about it. Does God get excited? You know, in the devotional, it alludes to the idea that God, who knows everything, knows the end from the beginning. And therefore, there are no surprises for Him. We're tempted to think perhaps He's kind of static. You know, just up there somewhere in, in, the, in the heavens. And it's like, yeah, I, I knew that was coming. Yep, I expected that. Yep, I saw that one. Uh, you know, that there's nothing going on other than he has this knowledge that is the beginning to the end and encompasses everything. And it's absolutely a true statement to say God can't learn anything because he already knows everything. He knows every choice you're going to make. He knows everything you're going to do. He's never surprised by what happens. And so does that mean that God is just kind of distant and unfeeling and and remote, and that we have, uh, you know, a sense that He's just kind of there? Or is there some other aspect of His character wherein He lives with us in the moment? Does He get excited about things? Well, we know that He gets angry, and He saw that coming. And we know that he rejoices, and we saw that coming. We read Zephaniah 3.17 this morning, and he rejoices over us with singing. That that speaks of a spontaneity that wells up inside and, and, and rejoices over his loved ones. That's not a static distance. That's an involved emotion. Theologians talk about a God in terms of epistemology and ontology. I don't want to bore you with 50 cent words, but there is the dual idea that God does exist above time and knows everything. But there's also the very real experience that God is living with us in the unfolding of history. That He feels our pain. That He is excited in our joy. That He walks with us through life with empathy and sensitivity. And that He rejoices when good things happen. And He can become quite angry when people behave really badly. And so, we come back to the question... What was God thinking and feeling as the time came for Jesus to leave His eternal presence in His side and come and begin to form in a body in the womb of Mary? This is 
the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. You know, God made us knowing full well that we would turn from Him. It still broke His heart the day that we did. And all through history, God began to work out a plan. A plan that would ultimately bring cleansing from sin, purge our lives of iniquity, and bring us back into relationship with Him, restore to us the presence of His Holy Spirit, bring us home into His family. It all began to unfold in reality when the Eternal Son left the Father's side to become human flesh. How do you think God felt about that? The Scripture says He has loved us with an everlasting love. The Scripture says that He longs for us whom He has made. And all through the Old Testament, He has given us glimpses in prophecy of the coming of Messiah. Don't you think He was excited that in the fullness of time it had finally come? The moment for God to invade the human history and become man and dwell in our midst. How do you think Jesus felt about that? You know, uh, Philippians 2.7 is called the kenosis passage. And kenosis is just a, a fancy Greek word that means to empty. But... In terms of Jesus Christ, it's profound because it means that He emptied Himself, He divested Himself of His divine attributes. He laid them aside. He didn't cease to possess them. He didn't cease to be God in any sense of the word. But the Scripture says that He laid aside His attributes of deity in order that He might come to us in the form of a human being in the form of human flesh. What was it like for Jesus, the eternal Son, to leave the Father's side? The Holy Spirit had crafted a body that began as a tiny, one-celled being. And he planted that tiny embryo in the womb of a virgin woman and prepared for the Son of God a human body to inhabit. What do you think happened when Jesus made the journey from the Father's side to Mary's womb? Do you think he arrived and said, wow, it's dark and warm in here. This is an interesting place. Oh, I can hear her heartbeat. That's kind of fun. What do you think? I don't think so. He came without his omniscience. He came without His omnipotence. He came without His all-pervasive presence. 
He localized himself in the womb of a virgin woman. And for all intents and purposes, before he could think and feel and experience anything again, he had to grow and develop a nervous system and develop a whole body and come into this world like any other infant. He had to be fed and burped and changed. And he probably cried when he was wet, and he cried when he was hungry. And he needed to be cared for. And throughout that infant life, he had to learn to see. The one who could see everything before had to learn to see with human eyes. The one who knew everything before had to learn a language so that he could formulate thoughts so that he could begin to identify and make sense of his world. He came to his own things, the things that he had made, but he had to learn all over again as a man what the reality of those things were. Have you ever thought of Jesus in those terms? You know, he was God. But because he condescended to take on a human body, he willingly limited himself in that season of time to normal human development. So that the writer of Hebrews could tell us truly, he himself has experienced all of our trials and temptations And He has gone through everything we have experienced. He started at the beginning and grew just like we do, so that He could fully enter into our experience. I cannot get my head around the idea, hardly, though I know it biblically to be true, that the Eternal Son, when He came into the womb of Mary... Suddenly, as it were, the light went out. And all that was His as God was waiting for His return to the heavenly throne while He started as a man, a baby, an embryo, to develop and grow and become like one of us. What do you think the Holy Spirit was feeling as He is the one whom the Scripture says crafted that tiny embryo and planted it in Mary's womb? As the angel appeared to her and announced the news that that which is in you is out of the Holy Spirit. It comes from Him. I won't belabor the point this morning. I certainly have in the past. And if you have questions, uh, come talk to me. And I'll share with you scriptures to document what I'm about to say. But Mary did not contribute any more to the body of Jesus than Joseph did. Jesus was the second man. The first man was created 
uh, in the garden, out of dust of the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And when God had made this human being and then crafted a woman to go uh, with him, beside him, from the very essence of his own being, God said, this is very good. But that first man and that first woman spoiled the race by their rebellion. And it was necessary for a second man to appear, once again crafted by God, once again uh, in whom the breath of life was breathed, once again without original sin, once again to walk in experience on this planet and face the devil toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, face-to-face, and beat him and win so that he could go to the cross without any spot of sin in his own life, in order to be the atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God for the sin of all the world. And so, that which the Holy Spirit placed in the womb of Mary was the second man of creation, made identical to us in every way, exactly like us, so that He could restore us to our original created state. The Scripture says in 1 John that we do not know what we shall be exactly like or whatever, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And He is making us over into a new creation the rebirth of the race through the last Adam. What do you suppose Mary felt? What did Joseph think? What did shepherds see? Have you thought about Mary carrying the life of the Son of God in her womb? I'm sorry, I can't relate to that at all. I'm a man. It's not possible. But you women who have had children, you know. You feel the first stirrings. You sense the life that is in you. Uh, You live with that baby alive and active long before he or she is born. Can you imagine what Mary must have felt with the stirrings, with the turning, with the kicking, with the sleeping and the awaking and thinking, this is Messiah. This is God in me. Do you suppose it was a little daunting to her? A little scary? You know, every woman takes extra care, well, most women do, uh, when they're pregnant. They want to be careful not to hurt the baby. They want to be careful to eat right and do the right things so that they'll have a healthy child. That mother love begins real early. 
as soon as you know and become aware of the awe and the wonder. Don't you suppose that Mary had an extra dose of that caution and wonder and thought as she carried the life of God in her body? And Joseph, who attended the birth, there was no um, midwife, there was no doctor. It was Mary and Joseph that night as he assisted her in the birthing process and for the first time held that slippery, slimy little bundle in his hands and realized, this is God. This is God in human flesh. And I'm responsible. Don't you know that had some impact on him? And the shepherds, they see the angels, and the angels tell them of a Savior that has been born, who's Christ the Lord, and and this is Messiah. This is the one they've been longing for and waiting for. It. And they go and they, they find the mother and the father and the baby and he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and he's lying in a feeding trough. And it must have been, wow, this is, this is the Messiah. But he's just a tiny baby. Interesting that God sent the shepherds to visit the birthing of the Lamb, to be the first to know the Lamb of God has come into the world. Can you begin to put yourself in the mind and heart of God and of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds? And the angels, the Scripture says, just shook their head in wonder. They sang praises, they announced the birth, they gave glory, but oh my, they just couldn't figure it all out. The Scripture says these are the things that they longed to understand, but some things were made just for us. Because we are the prize of God's creation. We are the jewel that He longs for. We are the one for whom Jesus, the joy set before Him, endured the cross and despised the shame. John says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. This is the pivotal point in all of human history. For some 4,000 or so years, the human race has been out of kilter, off track, going their own way. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've everyone turned to our own way. 
The course of history has run under the direction of the devil himself because the Scripture says the whole world lies in the evil one. The commerce and the political ambitions and the goals and aspirations of men and women have been wrong and off track from, from the time Adam and Eve left the garden. And all the world and all of Israel was waiting for this moment whether they knew it or not. And with the advent of Jesus Christ, the course of human history was changed. We used to say before Christ, B.C. and afterward, but that's gotten all changed now. But nonetheless, we still mark the calendar. We still recognize the moment here in the West that Jesus Christ was the The pivotal moment when history was changed. You know, before He came, men and women could not be born again and inhabited with the Spirit of God. They had to wait for the sacrifice. I'm not suggesting they weren't saved. There were many saved throughout the Old Testament waiting for the sacrifice. But when Jesus came, He made it possible to once again be cleansed and inhabited by the Spirit of God and be restored to real life with God. John says, We beheld His glory, glory as of an only begotten, full of grace and truth. You know, there are some things that God does so well that we have such a difficult time with. Human beings tend to be divided into two camps. Along these lines. Some people are very gracious. They're very forgiving. They're very um, compassionate and merciful. They tend to overlook everything. I have an aunt like that. I, I, I don't think she could ever see any wrong in anybody. Um, she, she just always assumed the best. She believed the best. Uh, even when people were messing up tremendously, she was still anticipating the very best to come out of it. Um, you know, her, her whole life was, is lived looking at the bright side. And she's willing to just forgive everything and overlook everything. I mean, nothing sticks, so to speak. There, there are people that tend to be like that to a fault, literally, uh, to where they cannot recognize when something has been broken. When sin has been committed, when there needs to be some restitution, some correction, some calling to account. And then the other side of the camp of human beings tend to be critical and judgmental and analytical. And they see the problems and they see the flaws and they hold people to a tough standard. And they expect people to perform and just do the right thing all the time. Well, guess what? Jesus had the amazing capacity to be filled with grace and mercy without ever compromising the raw truth. He could look at people and see what they are and what they were. And he could also see what they could be. He constantly astounded the disciples and the Pharisees and the 
lawyers of, of Israel, he constantly surprised them forgiving a prostitute, receiving lepers, eating with sinners. It was amazing how he was unaffected by a person's past. And interestingly enough, they were drawn to him. Sinners loved him. Pharisees didn't like him very much, but then they didn't think they were sinners. That was their problem. They were huge sinners and they couldn't see it. But the average person who recognized their failure to see Jesus was somehow to become aware of their sinfulness, the blackness of their heart. They they could recognize how ugly they were. And yet at the same time, long to come to Him because they sensed somehow He could change that. And He inspired them to change. You know, the law is never able to rectify our sin problem. It simply tells us what's wrong. And I don't know about you, but if all I ever hear is what's wrong with me, I get really tired of it after a while. In fact, human beings have a peculiar reaction to the law. The more you're told what's wrong with you, the more you just kind of want to give up and just do whatever. Just leave me alone. You know, I don't want to be bothered anymore. Stop criticizing me. <laughs> I, I don't know how far I should take this. <laughs> There's something inside of me. I know what it is. I'm a theologian after all. There's something inside of me that when people say, you must do this, something says, oh no, I mustn't. (laughs) I can do whatever I want. You're not going to tell me how to live. And yet with Jesus, There is impeccable holiness and righteousness. It exposes all the ugliness. And yet, the love and the grace that is there simultaneously draws people with a hope that I want to be different. Not just that I can be, but I want to be. He inspires that desire because He is so good and so pure and so beautiful that we we see Him and we say, I want to be like that. I want to be like Him. I want to be holy. Oh, cleanse me and forgive me. I want to start over. I think the woman set up and then trapped and brought to Jesus in the midst of adultery, I I think she must have had those feelings as all the accusers eventually left and Jesus said, Woman, where are your accusers? There's no one, Lord. You can go read it, but did you catch that? Where are your accusers? Jesus is standing there. There's no one, Lord. 
neither do I condemn you. But somehow she already knew that. And then he inspired her with her heart's desire. Suddenly in his presence, when he said, go and sin no more. And that's what she wanted. A fresh start. A new beginning. I can be free. John says Jesus was full of grace and truth. The law came through Moses. It's not that the law was bad. It's not that it was in any way evil. The law was good. It was given by God. It expressed His character. It was perfect. It was just ineffective. It had no power. It couldn't change anyone. It could simply point out the failure. Jesus could transform. He could speak the truth into our heart, unveil the darkness, fill it with His light, and give us longing to be holy. This One who walked in our shoes and felt our feelings and experienced our weaknesses and was confronted with the same temptations that we face and every time won the victory. This One who fully understood said, I did not come to judge the world. The world is already under judgment. I came to give life. I came to give life. All through the history of Israel, God had revealed Himself in the written Word. You can read the Old Testament and study His character. You can learn all about His nature. You can discover Uh, His righteousness, you can learn about His love and His plans, and you can uh, see His anger and His wrath, and you can discover all of these truths about God. But there's nothing like seeing Him in action. There's nothing like watching His character lived out in front of you in, in a way that you could touch and hear and see and feel. And John says, this one who was only begotten of the Father, coming from the very heart of God, has explained Him to us. So that He could say to His disciples, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I look just like Him. I act just like Him. Whatever you've seen me do is how my Father acts. When I walked into the temple that day and saw those money changers making a mockery and turning the house of prayer into a, a den of thieves and merchandise and the anger that welled up within me as I braided that cord of whips and turned those tables over and drove them out of there cracking that whip. You've seen God's anger. But you've also seen His love. You've seen His compassion. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me 
work miracle after miracle of love and tenderness. You've seen me forgive the vilest sinner. You've seen me chastise the haughtiest Pharisee. And in every one of these actions, you've seen the Father. Just how he feels, just how he acts, just what he thinks. He has explained him to us. Read the New Testament and follow the path of Jesus and see him unveil the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of an only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him, cried out, saying, This is He of whom I said, The one coming after Me has higher rank, for He existed before Me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, unending grace, grace that has No exhaustion. Every day, every moment, more grace. Grace upon grace through Jesus. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. What was it like for God to become man? For the eternal Son to become Jesus the Messiah? Why did He do it? What was His goal? To love us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to live in our shoes, to walk our paths, to feel our feelings, so that we could know that He fully understands And that He deeply loves us. Have you thought about how God felt in the Incarnation? How do you feel? Are you drawn to Him? Do you want to love Him more? Are you just amazed at His amazing love? Father, thank You so much for Your Word to us. Let us not minimize your humanity or your deity. But to see you in the incarnation as you really are. Eternal God. In human flesh. Living among us. In our midst. Revealing the Father. Redeeming us on the cross. Willing to start as a tiny baby. Willing to do battle every day and never give in to the enemy. Willing to remain pure all the way to the cross. That your precious blood would be worthy of our forgiveness and our cleansing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And to know that you have taken upon yourself this body for all eternity, 
so that when we see you, we will be like you. We will see you as you are and all that you have made possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.